Welcome to First Mile's Climate Heroes. I'm your host, Bruce Bratley, founder of recycling company First Mile. On this show, we meet and learn from the climate heroes who are building solutions right now to tackle climate change. We increasingly talk about the need to reduce, reuse and recycle, but the first goal of waste management is to control waste through proper containment and management, and this avoids it from polluting our oceans, land and air. In the UK, this basic service is taken for granted, but in developing countries, 90% of waste is openly dumped and burned with no controls. This issue becomes more challenging as populations grow and waste types change. Once the concept of control and containment has been met, there's still a huge amount of work to be done to build sustainable waste practices from reuse to recycling. And our guest today, Keris Turner-Bales, who is CEO of WasteAid, is working to make this change. Keris, welcome to First Mile's Climate Heroes. Hello, Bruce. Uh, It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's fantastic to have you on the show. I'm really excited to hear about WasteAid is up to um, and why you exist. And... um, your organisation, Wasted, aims to empower communities in developing countries to manage their waste effectively, this issue of control and containment. We talked about, and importantly, having a world where waste causes no harm. We see a bit of fly tipping in the UK, but generally, um, and when we, you know, when we travel around Europe, waste management is, is pretty well done, but it seems like that's not the case in other areas of the world. And, and why do we need waste aid and, and what's the problem you're solving? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, You make some really good points there, um, Bruce. So, yeah, I mean, I think you touched on it. So, you know, we start from the premise that one in three people um, globally have to dump um, or burn their waste, which obviously causes a a huge um, environmental problem and a human problem on on many levels. So, you know, Waste Aid, we are there to um, facilitate and support waste management systems in in countries where they don't exist or are very... um, very sparse. Um, we also help to promote um, circular economy innovation. And you're right that we work with we work with communities, but we also increasingly work with local authorities and and uh, when possible with central government in these countries as well, because obviously we're trying to bring about transformational change. I mean, why are we doing this? I think you know often waste management is is overlooked. I think it's increasingly the situation is improving, but I think it's often overlooked as um, a, a real contributor to the climate crisis. It has been estimated that um, black carbon emissions from open burning, for example, can contribute um, between 2 and 10% of global CO2 emissions. And at the higher end, that's double the, cli- the impact of aviation. And yet we don't, I think, receive necessarily the focus and, um, and finance. But, you know, WasteAid, we are here and, and our work, it, it combats the climate crisis. We work um, to reduce plastics pollution and land pollution, not to mention, obviously, some of the human effects of, of poor waste management on health, for example. Well, there's so much in there. So I want to go black carbon. Um, this is a new concept because we sort of now talk about carbon in quite a sort of, uh, <laughs> everyone's talking about carbon. What's black carbon and how, why, why we, I mean, that's a huge number. I mean, is it coming, is it literally when you burn some, you know, um, like if you see a farmer burning some plastic film, which they shouldn't be doing in their, in their field is, and it's all black smoke coming off it. Is that creating black carbon? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, Soot um, and and part and is part of fine particulate uh, air pollution, basically that contributes to to climate change, um, and it's a co- it's just a component of um, fine particulate matter. So, the, and then the other the other statistic in there, which is fascinating, is one in three people having to dump or burn their waste. And is that 
literally coming out of their homes and and there's no because there's no infrastructure the bin bin man operative doesn't come along the bin man doesn't exist yeah absolutely it's coming out of people's homes it's coming out of um, businesses as well so i mean obviously in the countries where we work in there is really no um no local authority um infrastructure or, or very little um, I, I say that, you know, we work in um, Gambia, for example, where I know one municipal council has tried to implement, I think, collections for businesses, but household collection, absolutely none at all. And does um, sort of open dumping include in rivers? Because um, one of the main sources of ocean plastic after fishing gear is plastic waste, um, if we're talking about plastic, ocean plastic, uh, that's being dumped in rivers. I mean, I think there's a number of things, really. There's open dumping, which can go to um, landfill sites, that, um, but there's still, um, there's still issues with them being in this vast sort of untreated waste in, in, in large um, landfill sites, for example, Bakote uh, dump site in Gambia, which, you know, is, is, is a real sort of health and environmental, environmental risk. You know, people burn it, um, waste in their backyard. Um, you often see in, in the countries that we work in, waste being burnt on the street you know plastic being thrown into um into gutters etc because there literally isn't any waste management system and any collection system and i think it's interesting to also um i want to make the point that people don't do this because they don't care about the environment they do it because there really isn't isn't a system in place and obviously you would want to remove your um waste from your you know from your house and from from your sort of children etc so it, it does end up in um sort of informal dump sites or even the formal dump sites are often poorly managed. But one of the things that you also said in your introduction there, Karis, is that there's no money going into it. There's very little funding. Why is that? And 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 are you fundraising at Waste Aid? Are you getting, you know, is the Bill Gates Foundation throwing you millions of pounds? Is it are the, Uni, are the United Nations taking this seriously? Can you explain why why we're not getting money? I think the problem is vast, Bruce, firstly. So I think the level of funding in comparison to the problem is there's a disconnect there. I think increasingly there has been um, more recognition. I mean, certainly, um, you know, I've worked in international development for quite a long time, not necessarily in the waste sector. And um, I would say that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, waste management was really not something that was... um, Considered, it certainly wasn't considered as part of a, uh, you know, a potentially a health program. Um, although there might be a vaccination program or various interventions to for uh, for healthy living, waste was never thought of as, as or never con, con, sort of contained in these pro waste management contained in these programs. So I think that's getting slightly better. I see that funding, you know, is it, waste aid is is becoming more. Our work is becoming more relevant, but I think there's still a lot more that needs to be done. But I think the other thing is the funding, obviously. Um, the countries where, that we work in are really countries that, you know, they don't have the funding themselves to put into the local authority systems that we see in Europe or the UK. You know, there, is, there isn't that, that, um, that level of government funding or infrastructure to put these things in place. So I think what we do see and what we end up working with, um, Bruce, is we work a lot with the um, private sector. And the informal sector, because they move into they move into obviously develop services where where none exist. So, in terms of the impact of poor waste management um, in relation to how much funding there is and focus, it, yeah, it's lacking. It's absolutely lacking, and we always try at Waste Aid to advocate for that, which is why I said at the beginning um, we do work with communities, but increasingly we have recognised we do have to work with local authorities and with central government where possible to, to to just bring a focus and sort of bring ideally funding but make sure that it's you know it's up there on the policy agenda um we also managed to do that through you know contributing at cop 26 and and, and and any other kind of forum that we can get to really talk about the issue 
Brilliant. I want to come on to policy and legislation in a second, but before we do that, how long has Waste Aid been going? So you're, a, you're an established charity. 2015. Yeah, we were established by um, a couple of waste managers um, back in 2015. And since then, you know, we've grown. I think we've been doubling in size each year, which is which is great. We, we are funded through individual donations, through grants, through uh, obviously governments, UK, European Union. And also we do work with um, corporates uh, often as part of their um, sustainability policy and CSR. If we can find mutual, um, mutual goals and mutual um, objectives, we will work together to uh, implement programmes there. Brilliant. And we've got loads of listeners out there who want to donate right now. So how do they find WasteAid? It's www.wasteaid.org and forward slash donate. If you add that on the end, we will be very happy. You go straight there. Excellent. That's anyone listening who wants to help corporates or individuals. And Carissa, how did you get involved in this? Had you worked in sort of the charity sector before, health, environmental field? Yes, a, a little bit. I mean, I started life as an RAF officer, actually, uh, Bruce, many, many years ago, but then worked in international development. So I, I did manage, I worked over in Central Africa, West Africa, I worked over in Afghanistan as well. So I, I worked all over the place, really implementing humanitarian and emergency programs, etc. And I think um, I hadn't worked in the waste space or the circular economy space, but um, you know, when this opportunity um, presented itself, I think what, what I took home from from working in these countries, you know, once you've been there, the waste crisis, it's really sort of, it's visceral. You can see, you can see, um, you know, the, the waste on the street. It's, it's, it's just so obvious that something needed to be done. Um, so it was sort of a very, um, yeah, a, a very easy cause to take up, if you see what I mean. First Mile is the UK's leading waste management service. We help over 30,000 businesses reduce their carbon impact with our award-winning range of recycling solutions. Go to our website, which is thefirstmile.co.uk to get started today. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday. Are you finding you get more leverage in countries that perhaps have put in a regulatory framework but don't have the funding to implement it on the ground? Or are you having impact where you can go in and help them set up the regulatory framework and work out, or are you working in both those areas? Because it feels like, you know, if there's no if there's no rules or no enforcement, then it's going to be quite hard to necessarily get people to change. Really good, really good question. I'd say that we work, we're not working closely enough to sort of be push to be um, pushing our, our points at the at a policy level in a systematic way, Bruce. But um, in these countries. Obviously, we we do what we can to advocate. We've got a small um, entity to advocate um, and to uh, support central government and advise and and obviously um, uh, showcase. I think pilots and an and opportunity, and I think showcase that really some of our some of our programs don't need to be high cost. You know, it's it's all it's very ba- a lot of it is very basic. You know, you can't build a multi million pound recycling centre if you haven't got basic you know household segregation collection um, points etc. So we, we do a lot of that. I would say, but interesting what you uh, mentioned on the regulatory uh, framework. I suppose what what we've been seeing increasingly across, I'll say really across Africa, is that yes, there are things, um, it, there are initiatives in place. You know, there's a, I think the framework is there, but what we see is a bit of a disconnect between a government and actually what's happening every day. So if I can give you a couple of examples of that. So, for example, we work in Cameroon where um, there's a plastic bag ban um, and has been there for, for a number of a number of years. And yet, actually, there's no way to in, enforce that that ban. 
So there is still use of, of plastic bags. The, whilst the, the sort of the political will is there every day, it, it, it's 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 not enforceable. The infrastructure is not is not there. Similarly, you know there is a sort of EPR and producer responsibility legislation around um, producers of plastic collecting eighty percent of it. Yet again, you know, some of them are responsible and, 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 and do make efforts to do that. But others, the targets aren't hit, efforts aren't made, and um, there's no way of enforcing it. I think South Africa is an interesting one. We're working uh, in South Africa. Um, they have just introduced an um, end produce responsibility scheme in the end of 2021. So we're really looking forward to seeing how that how that works. And there is a system around that, which is which is great. You know, they have... Um, they have the producer responsibility organisations set up to uh, to try and meet uh, meet targets, meet producers' targets, and sort of there is a system which we're we're enjoying sort of seeing how that comes out. And South Africa is interesting because it does have some really strong regulation, but I think you know our message there will be that legislation is the first step. But again, if you're not having an environment where waste collection collectors have access to end markets, then it's all going to fall down. So you know we intervene. Waste state sort of intervenes in a, in a whole system approach. So it's quite an interesting uh, feasibility study we're doing in, in South Africa at the moment, which is um, in a rural area in a state called Mpumalanga, where we're looking at everything from testing sort of all the different inputs into how we encourage household segregation and collection right down to um, recycling plastics and then also joining this up with end markets. And so that, you know, that will be our sort of desired model if, if, if we could do it but obviously you know we're testing it on quite a small scale and we want to we want to grow we want to replicate we want to scale and then i suppose the linking in with that policy environment bruce is is then we're showing we, we need to be showcasing to policymakers actually with this kind of sort of quite low investments but stimulation you can you can achieve this and are you um i mean it sounds like you're doing work all over the world and fantastic work and and but if you look at sort of the China's obviously the biggest country now. We've then got India hot on their heels, and I think Nigeria is going to be the third largest country pretty soon. Are they sort of well on the track now and don't need waste aid, or are you tending to be dipping in? I mean, South Africa presumably is relatively um, well-developed for, for a sort of um, Southern Hemisphere country. Um, but, but not in you... terms of waste management, Bruce. Um, right. you know, absolutely not at all. You know, we do, we intervene in townships. Uh, in Johannesburg, I mean, maybe you, you would expect potentially ch- townships less well well served, but still obviously, you know, a large section of the population that don't have any sort of waste management. And this is obviously the, the issues are still contributing to the global cl- climate crisis. And, and I think you go to rural areas and it's even worse. So we're actually you know, we've been speaking to some of our South African colleagues and, um, you know, we were advised very early on to start looking outside of the the cities as well, which is, you know, what we're doing because that's where, you know, they, those, they tend to get ignored. But no, um, Bruce, we've been working in India. I mean, I think what I'll say about, and I, I can't comment on um, Nigeria, um, but India, I can, uh, you know, I think what we, we see is, no, there's still a, a huge issue with um, waste management. But I suppose where it's quite exciting is that, you know, the population of India, young, entrepreneurial, uh, you know, quite a sophisticated economy. So we're just getting to see some, you know, we support innovate innovators who you who can sort of bring interesting solutions to uh, uh, you know, uh, bring interesting circular economy solutions. So, you know, we work with some and supported some really good initiatives over there. So, for example, we were working with, um, we supported an organisation and financed an organisation called Sri Guru Plastics, who basically make damp coursing from low-value plastics for the construction industry. Obviously, a huge amount of construction going on in this uh, in the booming economy over there, which is you know a really great sort of circular example. 
And I think some places we also worked in Vietnam, again, you know, very just very not similar to sort of places like Cameroon and Gambia where we work, but, um, you know, still issues, um, you know, obviously big consumer. But, you know, what we're seeing is still still problems with waste management, still problems with actually having a system up. But, you know, we're supporting things like apps that are bringing, you know, like we supported an app that was the Uber for waste in, in, in Ho Chi Minh City, you know, that kind of thing. So I think it's just the waste composition would change slightly. And, um, you know, it's a diff- slightly different, we're dealing with slightly different problems, I suppose, but and, and, and supporting more sophisticated solutions in some cases. Are we going to see new models for waste management? You know, in the UK at the moment, your bin truck comes down the street, they collect all your materials, they take it to a sorting facility, then it gets bailed, then it goes somewhere else, and then it'll get washed and bailed again, and then somewhere else. Are we going to end up with a distributed new sort of paradigm shift of waste technologies and waste management? I think from my experience, what was what we'll see in what we're seeing in sub-Saharan African countries that are potentially lower down on the human development index is, you know, a reliance on the informal sector. So I think anything that's done to formalize, I mean, that's where we sit we say anything that's done to formalize waste management, we always wanted to be inclusive of the informal sector as well, because part of what we do is obviously solving the climate crisis or trying to solve the climate crisis um, and an environmental disaster. But actually, the other side of it is that we're trying to offer people livelihoods in and you know and a way to sort of alleviate poverty by giving people you know training and a potential avenue to to work so i think the pace that it's moving at i don't see in many of the countries we work, we, we work if not all of the countries we work large infrastructure sort of um sophisticated systems coming in and and really meaning that waste aid doesn't have to work there i think we've got a lot of work to do over the um over the coming years, decades. Um, and I think that will rely around the informal sector and then private sector. I think there's, I think what we want to see is a, a supportive policy environment sector, but I don't really, um, I don't see central level in the countries where we're at central government level that, that, that there is going to be, you know, a waste system to rival um, something like ourselves, our, our, you know, what we have in the UK. It's very different. Technology has a key part in this as well, because, um, you know, with microfinance, initiatives apps you can you can sort of really start to monetize ways to engender particular behavior with local entrepreneurs and small businesses and i think that's a key part of what waste aid are doing as well absolutely i mean yes we'd started by working um with quite in in south africa india and vietnam with quite sort of i'd say sophisticated entrepreneurs they were they were a few rungs up the ladder and um and i think the finance we offered them was you know reflective of that it was to sort of get them really uh you know to move them further chain get you know they could start employing people be really expanding their businesses but then we started questioning how do we get people to that for that stage so we um we developed a program in in johannesburg which is basically focused on a lot of people living in the townships who are just one step off the poverty line but have some bright ideas um you know want to start their own businesses and so we put together we work with a great local partner over there that works on sort of life skills and training for these young people, usually young, usually youth. And uh, and then we bring the sort of business and and sort of waste um, mentoring, coaching, training uh, side of things. Um, and then they, there is an opportunity for them to get finance and we support them through, through that system to try and make their businesses. And these are very small, you know, it could be just a couple of people, businesses, because these people would never get access to finance. So, you know, that really is, um, we are really filling quite a crucial crucial role
On this show, we're building a hall of fame for climate heroes, and we always ask our wonderful guests to leave something in First Mile's Climate Heroes Hall of Fame. So what or who would it be? I think a circular economy approach, basically, uh, Bruce, from my experience, moving from linear to circular, it's, you know, what needs to what needs to happen. Excellent. Perfect. And I hopefully we'll see lots of innovation and change from the work you're doing in the developing world. The second question uh, I have for you is um, if you could have a one to one with either the current prime minister, Rishi Sunak or Sakir Starmer, I'm, I'm hedging my bets here. What are the key messages you would land on them or the key ask? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously an awful lot, but I'll pick one that was a bit close to Waste Aid's heart. You know, um, many of your listeners might have, uh, might remember the reduction of the aid budget. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about, um, think about overseas aid probably, um, but maybe don't quite, uh, and, and maybe don't necessarily agree with it. But I, I wonder if, I'm not sure everyone makes a connection that that affected, that affected us. That meant that, you know, our climate, solutions were not funded so it's you know and i think um i would ask them to review that i would ask them to you know uh, uh go back and increase that because actually our our issue uh the issues that we deal with uh, it's not overseas aid this is a global issue it completely transcends borders and so i think my you know we were told that this might be temporary and i would ask that that reduction was made as temporary as um, as possible and reinstated as, as quickly as possible and are your, is your funding coming out of international aid for climate change or is there a specific tranche for waste management or health? Are you, which bit are you in? No, it's, it's international development. So we, we, can, we could previously, we cannot now, we could have previously accessed funding um, for international development, international overseas funding, um, because obviously with the, you know, the environment and the human element um, both tick you know, the um, certain SDGs that, that they were trying to, uh, to achieve. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's had a big impact on us, actually. It's had a big impact on um, not being able to, yeah, count on UK government support to the extent that we thought we could. So of all the countries that you work, how many countries are you working in, actually, incidentally? Well, we've worked recently, uh, we've worked um, across nine countries and we have um, active programmes uh, right now in about five. And it might not be one of the five, but... Which country has got the biggest problem, do you think, or, or or sort of what's the makeup of a country with a major problem? might be one of the five you're working with. It might be past one or it might be one that you'd like to work in that you're not yet. I think they're all different, Bruce. I wouldn't I wouldn't sort of put them in a hierarchy, but I suppose I can talk a little bit about um, Gambia, one of the countries that Waste Aid's been in for quite a long time. And I'm not saying this is the worst at all. It's just interesting. I think, you know, they um, obviously they do not have the house, household collections. There, you know, there is... Um, a, a big need for community sensitization around sort of segregating waste as well as actually you know putting in basic community systems there is an ability to get your waste moved to um a, a dump sites and and the reason i sort of picked on on gambia is that they have a very large municipal dump site in the set right in the center of the city called bakote which is a real um health crisis the government is always looking for you know how they can deal with this this issue um it sets on fire regularly you know it's got um it's got an orphanage not very far away from it. You know, can you imagine that they've got the burning, burning rubbish, um, all different types of rubbish there. Um, I think it also gives us, uh, there's, there's danger of gases and, and emissions coming off it as well. So um, really, really unpleasant. Also, the um, coastal region, it's uh, the mangroves, etc., have been sort of damaged by the amount of plastic pollution um, there, which obviously affects marine life, affects potential sort of livelihoods for um, uh the, the, the fishermen and the, the people that uh, survive on sort of coastal um, or need 
livelihoods linked to to, to sort of coastal activities. So, yeah, it's um, uh, I think it's that's just. But I don't think Gambia is uh, on its own. I think there's you know that's just a few of the issues that Gambia has. I think though what I will say, I'm going there next week. Actually, I'm off to Gambia next week. Is that um, what is really great though is genuinely the desire and and sort of the desire of both local authorities, community and of, of central government to really try and, and, and solve this issue. You know, they're not a country that, they're not a rich country, low down on the human development index, but they really are. I think what's what's actually really motivating and why we sort of really like working there is because, you know, our work has been met with sort of great enthusiasm and great, yeah, great collaboration. You know, the, the Minister of Environment in Gambia himself personally championed our circular economy ne- network that we opened in, in 2020. So, you know, it's uh, we've partnered officially with local councils. The, the, the project I mentioned around the women's gardens, that was with a, a local council. So, you know, whilst there are issues there, it's actually really motivating seeing that you know, people are trying to solve them. And of all these sort of all the projects that you've seen, this is going to be a hard question to answer. But if you could just pick one thing and scale it and money was no object to maximise the impact, what what would it be that's sort of like the... Because I understand that you're going in and you're being very contextually based and sort of advising around the best local solution. But of all the of all the sort of waste management circular economy solutions that you've seen deployed in developing countries, what's the what's the one with the most impact that you could actually put a lot of money behind if we could get, you know, if we could get Bill Gates? I'm sure he'll give you a call next week to to fund something. I think for us, um, and maybe this is not quite what you're looking for, Bruce, but um, I think for us it's a whole systems approach. It's it's basically what we're testing out in South Africa. It's it's Basically, you know, we've taken a few communities to go, you know, uh, and we will test what works there. It might work differently in other countries. But, you know, how do we encourage household segregation? Um, How do we help waste collectors? What can we do to recycle? You know, do do we recycle products or do we chip down plastic and sell it onto off takers? You know, or do we make artisanal project products? What works in that context? And then where's the end market? And that's basically, um, and that's that could be for plastics. It could be for organics. You know, that's that's probably um, that's that's our system. That's what we you know we're, we're testing out. If we had unlimited funding, we would want to be doing that on on, on a large on a large scale. And I think if I can just have one more, I suppose I, I'm really proud of the circular economy network approach that WasteAid's taken now in. Uh, in, in, in I think five countries we've we've, we've had this approach that, that I was explaining earlier, um, which is you know bringing together stakeholders that, I mean the circular economy is not necessarily well well understood in in, in all of these countries that you know the, the term circular economy doesn't necessarily resonate with people, but actually bringing together stakeholders from from commerce, from government, from waste, from um, you know from from agriculture, education, it's you know and, and bringing people together to actually focus on these issues and look at. Where are the gaps in the system and where, you know, what can waste states start doing to sort of bring collaborations together, plug these gaps? That's, I think that's the other thing that we would, uh, and where can we sort of, you know, target with really targeted funding to uh, uh, to help kickstart these, um, these national initiatives? Panning out now really from the sort of local on the ground activity, what does success look like to waste aid? What's the, what's the big goal, your North Star? I mean, I think our big um, our big goal is to have um, your waste management, uh, waste management systems, and circular economy um, circular economy approaches sort of operating in the countries where we work, and um, and actually really solving at scale, reducing plastics pollution, reducing air pollution, 
um, you know, a, a tackling climate change. That's, you know, that's that's what we, we you know, we do measure in terms of tonnage and, um, you know, the scale of, of, of what we're doing. And we just want, for, for us, success is, is absolutely reducing, tackling that waste crisis, reducing reducing pollution in all its forms. And what's the biggest hurdle to sort of seeing your success? Is, is it money or is it something else? I mean, yeah, I think funding, um, I mean, from, from our side, from an organisational perspective, yes, it's, it's, it's funding, you know, um, anyone that knows anything about small, um, so small charities um, or small non-profits, you know, it's, it's, it's constantly, we constantly need to be making compelling, uh, uh, compelling cases for funding. So that's, that's tricky. Um, but I think everything we've sort of touched on really, uh, uh, Bruce, so is, funding is one, but, you know, there are the, the the project, the problems are so complex in in countries, and the funding and the infrastructure is is really not there. So, I mean, we really are starting from the basics. And as we go back to you know household collection, um, you know, is there a system in place? It, once you've got a household collection, where does it go? How's that treated? It's like the these systems just are not are not there. So, I think the obstacles are trying to sort of we're trying to come at that in many different ways. We we often work in a kind of feel like we're trying to produce. We we, we look like we're trying to produce pilot projects that can really showcase what can happen and then our aim will be that 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 then um government or international funders or whatever look at actually trying to scale that and we will be delighted to be part of that but that's um that's where we're sort of trying to intervene right now Keris, it's been amazing learning all about waste aid thank you very much for your time before we go and this is very important how do people find out about you? Have you got any funding programs coming up that people can donate to? We are we we don't necessarily run funding campaigns, but we would be delighted to obviously for people to donate or to um, uh, give regularly. Um, I'd really invite people to visit our website www.wasteaid.org. Um, you'll be able to read all about our work, um, see some of our impact. Um, we also have some resources sections on, um, on on the climate crisis, and a number of other uh, another a number of other resources there that people might want to want to access. Um, but yes, you'll be able to find out how to support us um, on that website. And it's, it's actually a great website and a huge amount of information on there as well. So check it out. Keris, thank you very much for coming on First Miles Climate Heroes. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Bruce. It's been great to be here. Thanks a lot. I'm Bruce Bratley, and you've been listening to First Miles Climate Heroes, where we meet incredible people making an impact to tackle climate change. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and subscribe to the show. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday.